I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. We're going to start this podcast off by apologising for the sound quality uh, last week and in fact in the last few weeks. Um, we are aware of it, we are trying to fix it. Hopefully this one won't have any of those issues. What it will have is me, Steve Norman, uh, Owen Hughes. Hello. And for the first time on the podcast, uh, Failed Critics writer Andrew Brooker. Hello. Hello, welcome uh, Andrew, hello. Thank you. <laughs> hello. Yeah, good to have you on here after reading so many reviews that you've written recently. <laughs> it's good to be on after listening to the podcast for quite a while. I've enjoyed listening to it, it's, it's very cool to be on, thank you. That's okay. We've never been described as cool before. No, it's first time. <laughs> um, and probably only time ever. Yeah, quite likely. It's right. Anyway... <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, we'll start off as we always do with the quiz, where at the moment the guests are beating me 1-0 after last week's triumph. Mm. Um, so, Owen, quiz us. I will, I will begin the quiz. So, um, just to briefly explain, it is, yep, Steve versus the guests, as he said, 1-0 up to the guests, which means, Andrew, uh, if you win this, you put the, you double the lead for the guests. And all the pressure's week, on me then, isn't it? All the pressure's on you, and then next week could be it. Steve could lose and go revert to hosting duties. But um, I'm going to go in a non-chronological order, because I prefer to do them that way. Um, I'm going to start with a film in 1998 called Twilight. So this isn't the Sparkly Vampires one. It's a different film called Twilight. Anybody seen it? No. Mm, probably not. No. Okay. In... I've not seen Sparkly Vampires one either. That's a good point, neither have I. I haven't seen that either. But I'm aware of it. But uh, it, isn't, it isn't that one. Okay. So, in uh, 2000, year 2000, Y2K, um, they were in a film, uh, the Adam Sandler film, Little Nicky. Okay. Steve. Yeah? Adam Sandler. <laughs> that would have been a massive clue. A massive clue, but no, it isn't. I'm afraid it's not Adam Sandler. I, I don't think they were... Okay, uh... No. I ain't got... No. I don't think I've seen Little Nicky. I've seen or it. Or if I have it. Uh... Okay. Awful. It, it, yeah. I liked it when I was a kid, and then I saw it when I was a bit yeah. older, and I was like, this isn't very good. Okay. <laughs> um... Right, okay. So, jumping ahead a few years, in 2009... They were in the DreamWorks animated film Monsters vs. Aliens. 
It's going to get easier now. It's going to start getting a bit easier. I'm not good. <laughs> Thank God. It's going to get worse, can it? Okay. Two, in year 2000, going back to year 2000, um, they were in American Psycho. Reese Witherspoon. It's Reese Witherspoon. But Steve <laughs> said first, but I'm afraid, Steve. <laughs> I'm going to give that one to the guests. <laughs> yeah, you would. Oh, you? yes. <laughs> yeah, well done, Brooker. Thank you. Oh, damn it. I should yeah. have got that much, much earlier. Well, I was going to go Pleasantville election and then um, on to um, Inherent Voice after that, actually, because she's in Inherent Voice coming up soon. But there you go. Oh, I do want to see that. That does look a lot of fun. I didn't realise she was in it. Yeah, apparently. Good into her IMDb listing anyway, <laughs> which I'm looking at right now. Yeah. It does look good, actually. It looks like it's going to be a really funny film. Mm. Yeah, I don't know an awful lot about it. A mate of mine turned me on to the trailer a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I hope I get to see it at cinema. Yeah, that's the thing. Hopefully it gets a wide release. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that's the quiz. So tune up to the guests. Steve, you could lose it all next week. I probably will, because James will be on, and he'll try really, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon? Yeah. Uh, um, yes, on to the news now, and the only major bit of news to talk about from the last week or so in film, is the Golden Globes and the winners were announced in uh, the Hollywood ceremony. Uh, the best picture went to Boyhood, which beat Foxcatcher, The Imitation Game, Selma, and The Theory of Everything. I think between us, we've probably seen all of those films, except possibly Selma. Mm-hmm. Um, Worthy winner? I haven't seen Boyhood. No, I haven't seen Boyhood either. It's... It's on the list of ones that it disappeared really quickly, especially up this end. I didn't get a chance to get, get cinema to see it. Exactly the same thing happened to me, actually. The only place showing it was this little um, art cinema. And the only time, the only day I possibly could have seen it was after a long like commute back from London. And I just yeah. didn't fancy it because it's about three hours. And I've been waiting for it to come out for rent. But even that didn't seem to have happened yet. No. Do, do, do you think, because it had such a limited release, but such a big reaction, and it's up for all these awards and winning awards, it will get a re-release? It's quite likely. Some some places. I know Cineworld did it last year for a couple of films in the uh, in the Oscar season. So it's got getting a, it's getting a big video on demand push in the states, isn't it? So mm. hopefully we get to see it soon with that. Which would be nice. Again, it'd be nice to see it at the cinema, but it is going to be a long slog. And I, I, I don't know. Some of the things I read about it, you kind of go, it might be really good. Mm. But is it winning just for the, the scope of the making of the film more than the film itself? Yeah, the, the director uh, Richard Linklater also won Best Director for that. Yeah. Um, for Boyhood. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it was, a like like we said, uh, the scope of it was astonishing, really, to film it over so many years, and uh, with all the same cast, it's, it is pretty impressive that they actually managed to get something out at all, really. I, I still can't get my head around it, because what if one of the main actors had just decided to pack it in, or died or something, how would he carry <laughs> on? Well, uh, CGI, Steve, they just use CGI these days. You know what filmmakers are like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheat their way through it exactly just get Josh Brolin and put some um, makeup on him make him look like Ethan Hawke uh, Josh Brolin yeah, anyone <laughs> yeah 
Well, it did really well in the Bell Critics Awards as well. I don't know if you remember, Steve, or if, if you um, listened to that, that podcast, uh, Brooker. I did. Fourth in our top ten it was. So, you know, even with a limited release, that's pretty good. It is very good. Uh, the only people who voted in that were a bunch of hipsters anyway. <laughs> yeah, like me. Yeah. Um, best, best motion picture for musical or comedy, which I always find a strange category, was the Grand Budapest Hotel beating Birdman into the woods Pride in St. Vincent. Disappointed that Birdman didn't win. Yeah, I've got to admit, I am a bit as well. I really like Birdman. Oh, good. You can come back on the podcast again then. <laughs> I said the right thing. I'm, yeah, I'm that's it. That was the, that's the key words I was waiting for. Just that phrase. You yeah. really like Birdman as well. But no, honestly, it was a very... Well, just talking about Boyhood and Grand Budapest Hotel, I suppose. Very um, innovative way of approaching uh, yeah. making a film, you know? The fact that well, it was... Everything, the really, the, the stupidly long takes and the very long shots, they were beautifully done in Birdman. I'm, I'm annoyed that it didn't win Best Comedy. I, I've not seen Grand Budapest Hotel yet. Yeah, I, I kind of liked Grand Budapest Hotel. I liked the style of it. It is very Wes Anderson. Um, but I don't think that's, you know, that's not a, a diss. I'm not trying to <laughs> put it there, you know. It, it, it's very Wes Anderson, but at the same time, it's very impressive, and it is very funny. Ray Fiennes is fantastic in it, and, you know, it is a very good film, but to me, I think Birdman is better. Yeah. Um, best best actor and actress for drama. Uh, actor went to Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. Uh, actress was Julianne Moore for Still Alice. Yeah. Has been released yet? No, still Alice isn't out over here. I think but she plays um, someone with Alzheimer's, doesn't she? Yeah. An early onset of Alzheimer's. And apparently she's absolutely brilliant in it. Not just because she's she's won, won this um, Golden Globe, but I've heard previously she, you know, probably her best performance for years. So, good that's size. A, that's a big, uh, a big ask. I've seen her in Match to the Stars. I thought she was amazing in that. Hmm. So, yeah, she's to, been in quite a few things recently, hasn't she? She has, and, and to beat that performance, I thought she was amazing. So to beat that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'd like to see it. Mm. But she also beat uh, Rosamund Pike, who was everyone's favourite from Gone Girl. From Gone Girl, yeah. Mm. Well, I wasn't keen on her, but we've talked about this quite a lot. But I wasn't keen on on Rosamund Pike, and kind of not glad she hasn't won. But it feels like the character was better than her performance. I felt. Really? Yeah. Character's more interesting than what she was doing with it. Fair enough. Well, at the same, you know, at the same time, I've also seen Reese Witherspoon in Wild this week. Saw her yesterday. And she was very good in that as well. So, you know, it is, well, Felicity Jones I thought was alright, but didn't really have much to do in the theory of everything. No. Similarly, we talked about it last week with, with Jerry on the podcast but nobody heard it because of the awful sound quality. Um, and I'm not going to make the same faux pas that I made last week when I invoked a quote from uh, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I didn't think he was great as Stephen Hawking. I thought he was good, but not great. And uh, to beat Jake Gyllenhaal and Steve Carell, yeah. that's both of which were very, very good in the, in their films. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I thought was terrifying. 
I've not been a Jake Gyllenhaal fan for very long. His early stuff I really didn't like. Mm. But Nightcrawler, I thought he was absolutely amazing. He was. He was, definitely. Um, but it's a bit it's a bit of a dark film to win awards anywhere, really, isn't it? That is true, yeah. I mean, he won't get an Oscar for it. His best chance was, was a Golden Globe, I think. Yeah. But, you know, that's it then. I guess Eddie Redmayne won and everyone thought he would and then he did. So, yeah. yeah. Know, your next choice. Um, uh, and best actor and actress for musical or comedy, uh, Michael Keaton won actor for Birdman, Amy Adams, uh, actress for Big Eyes. Yeah. yeah. I've not seen Big Eyes, so I, I don't know if Amy Adams is any good, but again, Michael Keaton I thought was amazing in Birdman. Yeah, definitely agree. It's his best, his, it's, that is definitely his best performance. It's, I think I said on the podcast or in my written review, one or the other, that it's like his, he's finally, like, fulfilled his potential with that role, I feel. Yeah. And I know that it sort of seems like it's written for him anyway, but nevertheless, he, he was brilliant. He did, he did, he managed to erase the awful, awful memory that I have of watching him in Need for Speed at the beginning of the year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that, you did that to yourself. Uh, I, yeah, I shouldn't have watched it. No. <laughs> But, um, yeah, uh, Joaquin Phoenix as well for Inherent Vice is getting a lot of, um, uh, comments recently, you know, positive comments, so. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is coming back in a big way after his silly fake rap thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he is. The Masters, he earned a lot of, um, praise for as well, so. Yeah. Mm. No, he, I thought he was great in The Master. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And, yeah, the, everyone's talking about him in Inherent Vice. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him winning more, obviously, didn't win at the weekend, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him winning stuff in the next couple of months for it. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, best animated feature, uh, How to Train Your da- Dragon 2 uh, beat off strong competition from Big Hero 6 to Box Trolls and Lego Movie and the Book of Life. That seemed like quite a strong category all round. Yeah, I'm sure Callum would love to be here to comment on that because... Um... You know, I think he loved Box Trolls and uh, Book of Life, uh, or aspects of the Book of Life. But, you know, James loved the Lego movie. I've seen Big Hero 6 and thought it was really, really fun. It's a lot of fun. There were flaws with it, but it's just, it's so much fun. I can't wait for it to come out so we can actually talk about it properly (laughs) on the podcast. But, um. Is it worth a bit of time to go and watch, though? Oh, definitely. It's only about 90 minutes as well, which is good. Because, you know, it's primarily aimed at kids and. You know, it does feel like that, but at the same time, the, the characters, the animation, um, even the story to some extent is, is just, it makes it worth watching, but, um, it's just so funny as well. The character of Baymax is, you know, the best Disney character, I think, for, for years, so. Yeah, I hate to train your dragon too. I didn't think much of that. Did you guys see it? I didn't, uh, I, <laughs> I kind of wanted to watch it with a little one, so I've, okay. I've saved it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I'm one of the few people I know that didn't like the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. I, well, no, it's, that's unfair. I, I liked it. I thought it was a waste of time because all the good jokes I thought were in the trailer. Okay. And so I went in with really high expectations and came out quite annoyed. Yeah. I, I can remember annoying... I think I annoyed Steve because he... What did you say about me at the time, Steve? That, that I just hate fun or something like that. Because I said it was just a big yeah. advert. Yeah, <laughs> more or less. 
You hate fun when you were born as a 30-year-old. That was, yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, I didn't really I, I, it was a 90-minute Lego and Duplo advert. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was, some of it was quite funny, you know. I like Liam Neeson in that. As the clock. I, I thought that was good. I, I still don't know why a, a double-decker couch isn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't know. Um, uh, and then on to the TV-based awards. Uh, 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 best TV series drama was The Affair beating Downton Abbey, Game of Thrones, A Good Wife, and House of Cards. Uh, I must admit, I've not seen, <laughs> not, I've, I've not seen or even heard of The Affair before the Golden Globe, so, um, can't really comment too much on that one, except that obviously strong competition from Game of Thrones and House of Cards. Uh, I'm not, not seeing The Good Wife and Downton Abbey just isn't my thing, so, um, mm. uh, I mean, has the, has is the is is been aired on the yet? I don't think it has at the moment. No. Is Downton is Downton Abbey genuinely good, or is it just like Americans getting this English program and thinking it's good, and that's why it's nominated? I wouldn't know. You'd or never it... catch me watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't sort of got anything against it in terms of what it is, but I just have no interest in watching it at the same time. No. No, but that's what I mean. I don't know if it's just good or if it's like an, an English fad thing that Americans are loving, like the the Spice Girls or something, and all go away to. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, topical reference there for people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not to date. <laughs> yeah. Mm. She said One Direction, shouldn't I? Be a bit more current. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, best t- best TV series, comedy or musical. Uh, went to Transparent, beating Girls, Jane the Virgin, Orange the New Black, and Silicon Valley. I, I watched the first half of Silicon Valley, first se- half of the first series. I thought it was good. I just didn't have time to watch it, and um, it went on the back burner. I ended up deleting it off the planner after a while. I thought that was pretty good, actually. But the problem is, it just shows how little TV I'm watching, because of those ten films, I've watched half of one series of one of them. <laughs> oh, and Game of Thrones, sorry. One and a half season. Mm. Transparent, I think, definitely worth winning it because it's very good. It's exceptional, and if you haven't watched it, yeah, give it a shot. It's very good. I, I'm gutted. Orange is the New Black didn't win. I'm, I'm a big fan of Orange is the New Black. I think it's brilliant. I heard some people um, weren't too happy about it being lumped in with musical or comedy. It is. It's very, very black. It's kind of. I didn't. I went in the first couple of episodes, I was a bit disappointed because, you know, oh, it's a comedy, watch this, it's funny, and it really ain't that funny at all. <laughs> right. But it does, yeah, it's very dark comedy. It's it's worth a butcher, so I really would recommend it. Okay. Uh, best miniseries or motion picture made for TV. Fargo won that category, beating uh, Fantastic True Detective. Um, but also good to see BBC miniseries The Missing in there, mm. which I've not seen myself, but I've heard very good things about. Yeah. yeah it got, got picked up for a second season last week, didn't it? It did, yeah. So it that makes me want to go and watch it. If someone else thinks it's good enough for season two, I have to go and watch it now. But <laughs> I, I haven't been able to swallow the idea of a Fargo TV show yet. <laughs> No, I've seen the film and liked it, um, but yeah, and obviously heard all the good things about the cast and the performances in the TV show, but just not kind of got around to watching it. No. Well, it, it does have good performances. Billy Bob Thornton, who won Best Actor, I think, um, for 
miniseries or TV film. He was very good. I personally felt Martin Freeman was better, but, you know, could have gone to either of them. But, you know, it was also a surprise to see uh, heavyweights like Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey and Mark Ruffalo beat him for that title as well as best actor. They're, you know, they're proper big Hollywood actors. Yeah. So. Mass, you know, massive names that have just kind of been, been skipped past. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sad that True Detective didn't win. I'm sad that True Detective didn't win more. I don't think it won anything, did it? I don't think so. No. 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 Um, was fantastic television though, but yeah, just, just pipped to the post by, by Fargo, by the looks of it, in across, across the board. Yeah. It makes me want to watch Fargo. Someone thinks it's better than True Detective. <laughs> yeah, I have, but, yeah, I have to go and watch it. Awards aren't always the best judge for that. When something no. like Crash wins or Tom Hanks beat uh, in Pulp Fiction, uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Forrest Gump beats Pulp Fiction for True. Oscars and stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, Fargo was pretty good. True Detective, I, I kind of. No, I'm not going to say. It. I'm not going to say. It. True Detective was alright, wasn't it? I'm not going to go any further than that. <laughs> Uh, so do we do we think that for the the film side of things the Golden Globes are a steady indicator of what we can expect for the Oscars in terms of nominations and winners, um, or is that just going to be thrown all out the window and be completely different? Yeah, you can usually get some idea of what's going to be nominated from it. It's not always the same winners, of course, but um, Boyhood probably is on to win the Oscar. Yeah, the, the BAFTAs are usually a better indicator, I think, of the winners of of the Oscars. They tend to do quite well at, at, at foreshadowing that. Yeah, but there is also like a tendency to lean towards the British films, obviously, with BAFTAs. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the nominations are probably a bit more uh, focused on Brits and British directors, British actors, and stuff like that with BAFTAs. But it's usually, yeah, you're right, it's usually closer, I think, with who ends up winning it than Golden Globes. So you're expecting a imitation game on Cumberpatch to clean up at the BAFTAs? I certainly think they'll be nominated, but I still think Eddie Redmayne will get it. Yeah? Mm. He, there's a lot of talk, I mean, people keep talking about how he's going to be the, the next big British actor, you know. Um, I personally can't see it yet. Like I said, I thought he was good as Stephen Hawking, but, you know, wasn't a great film, and he, I don't think he was himself particularly great. But, yeah, no, I think he'll get, I think he'll get the Oscar. Uh, are, you, are you only a big actor now when you've been linked with a superhero movie? Because he hasn't yet, <laughs> as far as I know. It just seems to be the barometer of things. If, if you're linked with a superhero movie and a big role in it, then, then you're big now. Uh, Doctor Strange is pushing it a bit, though, isn't it? Well, Cumberpatch. Mm. Yeah. I don't not think really, Redmayne's... not really big superhero. No, a lot of people don't know who he is even, so... Yeah. But, you know, it's in, isn't it? Once you're in with Marvel, that's it. Yeah. yeah. He has to well, take another job in his life after that, I presume. No, get a percentage of the merchandise and you'll be laughing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's all for the news and all for part one. Up next, we've got what we've been watching. Uh, 
Uh, what we've been watching now, where we take a look at some films that we've seen in the last week or so that aren't necessarily new releases. Uh, I have seen on Blu-ray that I got for Christmas, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. Uh, we've talked about this at length when it came out. I think Carol talked about it when it came out on, on Blu-ray as well. So not worth going over too much. Um, but it's probably in the top, I'd say definitely top five of, of the superhero films since kind of the, the recent, mm. um, spate of them. Um, possibly even top three. It, it's very good. Uh, entertaining and even if you took the superhero element away from certain characters it'd still be quite a good um, kind of political spy not political, a spy thriller kind of film mm. um, but the, the film I've watched that I hadn't seen before was Draft Day starring Kevin Costner um, and it's centred around the uh, NFL Draft um, Brooker, as you um, like American football, can you explain to people who might not know what the NFL draft means? The NFL draft, in the simplest terms, is uh, a couple of months before season starts. Teams are given an order in which they can uh, get contracts with new players coming straight out of college. Uh, it's it's quite a big, it's a very big deal for people who follow it as closely as, as say I do. It it's it's basically it's the same way everything worked in Moneyball. It's trying to work out who's the best for the price you can get them for uh, in the positions you need. Uh, in the positions you need in the most important places you need them on the field. It's quite a complicated thing to go through, and it's 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 a tense couple of days draft weekend. And and isn't because um, in American sport they don't do relegation. The, the worst team from the year before get the the first pick of the players. They do. The, wor- the, the worst team gets the first pick, the top pick, and it goes. It literally goes in order to the second worst gets the second pick, all the way down to the people that win the Super Bowl get the last pick in the first round. Uh, there are trades to be made. You can trade places in the draft. You trade players for places. It's a it's a really complicated setup. <laughs> It, I don't even try and for I, I tend to just grab the news as it's going. Trying to follow it over draft weekend is such a pain. And, and that's that's perhaps why I didn't get on with the film too well because I just I have watched American football games before, um, especially the Super Bowl. But I just don't, you know, I understand the game as it's going on, but the whole thing surrounding it, you know, the draft, the picks, um, all that kind of stuff, I just don't understand it. Uh, I mean, I certainly thought the performances were good um, from Kevin Costner and, and Frank Langella and, and other members in the cast. I definitely thought it was, a, it was good performances for everyone involved in the film. But I just think it's it's a film that you either have to be into or understand American football to to enjoy or to understand. Um, I mean, I've, I've watched films, you know, Any Given Sunday, etc., like those a lot, but that's more about actually, in a way, what's going on on, on the field. This is very much off the field, behind the scenes, and I think really to, to, to like the film, you need a grasp of, of American football and the draft. Um, and if you do have that understanding, then you probably will like the film. Um, I'm just waiting for them to do something similar with Transfer Deadline Day. That can't be fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who would you get to play Jim White, Steve? I don't know, but I'd be more, it'd be more casting... I think 
get Michael Caine to put on a bit of weight and he could be Harry Redknapp. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but I think, yeah, certainly think if, if you, if you like and understand American football, you will like draft day quite a lot. If you don't understand American football, you'll probably just sat there looking confused a lot of the time thinking, what the hell are they talking about? So I'm quite looking forward then watching it with the missus who just kind of will glaze over as I'm watching it. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing it now. Actually, you say that has made me really want to watch it. No, I think I think as you seem to be a big fan of American football, you will you will like Draft Day. Um, but it's a bit it's a bit of a different take on a sports film because, like I said, lots of sports films are centered around what's happening on the pitch, yeah, or on the field. Whereas this one is is away from the field. It's more behind the scenes. Excellent. Um, but it certainly does have all the show and, and razzmatazz that American football and American sport has as well. And it stops every two minutes for an advert. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily, it didn't. I'd given up after two minutes. Uh, so, Andrew, what have you seen? I uh, I imported from Amazon France. I got The Salvation on Blu-ray. It's uh, a Western with Mads Mikkelsen, who is... <laughs> It's a revenge film. He he goes on a bit of a spree after his wife and kid are attacked. And he, he pisses off local big bad guy who's played by Jeffrey D. Morgan. I, I mean, I don't have much time for Jeffrey D. Morgan. I don't know many of his films. Mm-hmm. The problem with him in The Salvation is he looked a lot like Alfred Molina did in Maverick. <laughs> and I couldn't get over that. <laughs> But I mean, the film's it's it's good and it's worth a watch. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen in it is absolutely amazing, as he always is in I think everything I've seen him in. I think he's great, and Ava Green's in it as well as this mute bad chick that's kind of on the bad guy's side of things. You think, mm. and it's yeah, she's amazing in it. She's she plays a really difficult role being mute and still having to to get all the emotion out on that and she plays it very well but it's it's a really it's run of the mill as far as westerns go it's not very violent it's which I was really surprised at to be honest and, you know most modern westerns are quite quite brutal and this one it, it really wasn't it wasn't tame but there wasn't blood splattering everywhere and mm. and stuff like that it was it was it's quite short, and it was relatively well paced. It wasn't the best Western I've seen, you know. It, it wasn't Unforgiven or or Three Tenth of Humor, but it was definitely worth a butcher's if you're into your westerns, or if like me, you're into watching anything with Mads Mikkelsen. In. Oh yeah, I love the, I love the guy. He's brilliant. Um, but isn't Eric Cantona in this? He is, oh, Eric Cantona is. I couldn't help but laugh. He just looks like this <laughs> angry. He's like snarling all the way through the film. He looks like this little angry French bulldog with a beard. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's brilliant. You know, it, if you didn't know it was Eric Cantona, you would just watch him go, you don't fit in here at all. But because it's Eric Cantona, you go, actually, yeah, I like you in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Carol saw it at the London Film Festival. I think she said pretty much the same thing you did, really, in the, um, you know, usual Western tropes, but it's pretty good as well it is it's got a couple of weird filming styles in it as well I don't know the guy that made it I don't know any of his work but some of it I think it was filmed in South Africa mm-hmm. I believe uh, but some of it looks like it's been green screened for the entirety of the background 
Right. He's filtered, he's, especially over the night scenes, he's put a filter over his camera and it looks chroma keyed. It just, it doesn't look right in some points, but for the most part, it's very good. And, and for what looked like quite a cheap film, it's quite well made. Cool. Okay, and Owen, what have you seen? I have watched, um, well, I, I watched five Bruce Lee films. I mean, they're really the only five he ever made, if you exclude the ones he was sort of bit part roles in. Um, although you could argue he had, and he had a bit part role in Game of Death, but anyway. But the main one I want to talk about, and I hope you've both seen it as well, because it's one of my favourite films, uh, Enter the Dragon. Which, yeah. Yes, excellent. Do you like it? I do. Yeah, I do. I, I don't think you get to say you like films unless you've seen Enter the Dragon, do you? That's the rule, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't make it, I just enforce it, I'm afraid. But, um, yeah. I it do was... like it. It's a long time since I've seen it, but I do like it a lot. Okay. I watched it, I mean, I watched it last year as well. Um, because I had a friend of mine who came round. And he grew up without a TV, would you believe? Not because, um, Poverty or anything like that. His just parents didn't believe in having a TV. So he grew up without a TV. Didn't get one till he was about nine. Therefore, he missed out on loads of films growing up. So he didn't see things like Jurassic Park, uh, or Jaws or anything like that wow. until, yeah, until he was much older. And then as soon as every friend of his sort of found out that he didn't watch these films, we all force him to watch a film every time he's around here. So I've introduced him to things like, uh, Evil Dead. And oh, nice. Yeah, you know, all the classics. Um, <laughs> You're educating bit, him. Yeah, I'm educating him. That's how I feel. But I introduced him to Enter the Dragon last year. And, you know, I think I felt it held up really well. And it was just pleasing to see that someone who's... He's not new to films anymore, but he's new to some of these classics. And even he enjoyed it. And I think that's sort of the sign of its uh, longevity and... um well, there's just how entertaining it is. It's just the sheer entertainment value for it. Because um, it was made in 1973. came out in 1973. It was Bruce Lee's first Western film. First film he'd made in America. Because he left to go to Hong Kong um, yeah. to make some films with uh, Lo Wei and um, with... Uh, with Cho and all those kind of Golden Harvest uh, action films that he made, you know, Way of the Dragon, uh, Fist of Fury, The Big Boss, those are sort of the, the first three he made. And, you know, they're very good films, but Enter the Dragon is just on another level. Um, it was produced by Warner Brothers, had a budget of £850,000, which just doesn't sound wow. like a lot by today's standards, but back then that was already quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, quite a lot of money. And, you know, the fact that his previous film, Way of the Dragon, which is the film he had complete control over, you know, he, he produced it, he wrote it, he directed it, he starred in it, it was his film. The budget for that was $100,000. So that just sort of shows you the gap um, yeah. between the two. And they, they put all that money to, to, to use. It's, it just looks incredible. Some fantastic scenes in it, you know, some of his most iconic fight scenes, presumably. Um, I, I think they're probably his most iconic occur in Into the Dragon. Um, he done all his own choreography, didn't he? He did all his own choreography. It's his own fighting style. Uh, I think Gundu. that's why it holds up so well. Yes. Because it, he's got a decent, you know, a, a professional doing the fight choreography. Okay, so Bruce Lee's beyond professional, but it's actually somebody that knows what they're doing. 
It's yeah, the yeah. same as watching fight scenes in like the raid. <laughs> they look good and they're gonna hold up because the guys that done it, they do it professionally. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not he isn't Bruce Lee isn't or wasn't just a movie star. I mean, he developed his own kung fu style. You know, he trained under uh, Yip Man. You yeah. know, in the fifties, so <laughs> he he knew what he was doing and. Um, yeah, definitely shows it in Into the Dragon. I know that Game of Death, the film he died halfway through making, actually. He took a break from Game of Death to make Into the Dragon. Um, but that was going to be the film that absolutely showcased his Kung Fu style. And that was the point of that. It was all about his philosophy, all about, um, you know, his, his style, which was, um, you know, in Into the Dragon, they use a phrase, he uses a phrase or tricks the, um, the, the the guy from New Zealand by using a style of fighting without fighting, you yeah. know, and he sort of leads him off on a little tugboat, and <laughs> you know, it's it's hilarious, it's funny, uh, which also is is true through most of his films. There's a lot of humour in it. Okay, it's not it's not a comedy most, you know, primarily, and then a kung fu film like perhaps some Jackie Chan films are, you know, particularly yeah. some of the ones he directed. Um, they seem to be mainly inspired by things like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and the Marx Brothers, and then also have Jackie Chan doing things that you just cannot believe a human can do. Yeah. Um, but Bruce Lee films are primarily about his style, his his um, well, his, his philosophy on life, with some humour in it. And I think that this, that's what makes it still so um, enjoyable and. So good, why, why it's lasted so long and still even now can, can impress people. And I, it's one, you're right, it's one of those films you have to see it. Even just to kind of appreciate what it did because there's a lot of faith put into, you know, a foreign film star, um, at the time. You know, this is in, in America in the early, early seventies, you know, to put someone like Bruce Lee center stage of a massive budget action film. It alongside people, it's a lot of faith, and also again, alongside that, you've got um, Jim Kelly, who was an African American, and yeah. you know he also plays one of the lead roles in this film. So there's there's a lot of faith being put into that, and I think it's important to acknowledge acknowledge that as well as the the quality of the film. But yeah, if you if you've never seen Enter the Dragon, you are doing yourself a disservice. You need <laughs> you need to see that film. It's by it's by far his best, but. Yeah, I mean, I've written about it on the website as well, if, if anyone gets time, if anyone wants to, to read about this mini um, biography, I suppose, that I wrote about him and his films, then um, then that's on the website as well. But yeah, Enter the Dragon, fantastic film. Okay, uh, that's all for what you've been watching. We'll have one more break, and then we'll be back with our new release reviews, which includes Foxcatcher, uh, Into the Woods, and others. <laughs> Time now to review some new releases. Uh, up first is Wild, which Owen has seen uh, in a preview screening this week. Yeah, um, yesterday, Cineworld, well, I say yesterday, it was Monday this week. It's not yesterday, it could be whatever day that you're listening to it. Monday this week, I went to Cineworld preview of um, John Mark Valet's um, film Wild. Uh, if you recognise the name, it's because he he's the guy who directed Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, and got a lot of praise for that film, and that was a very good film, partly because of performances and partly because of, of his directing of that. And also, uh, Wild stars Reese Witherspoon, 
and we talked about her a little earlier was getting nominated for um for the Golden Globes but not winning unfortunately I'm a bit disappointed about because I thought she was she was very very good in this film. Um, it's a film, it's adapted uh, for the screen by a guy called Nick Hornby whose only other film I've seen that he's written a screenplay for. He's a very accomplished writer. Uh, Steve probably recognises him from Fever Pitch. Um, he probably recognises him from Steve, uh, Fever Pitch. But uh, Nick Hornby wrote An Education with uh, Kerry Mulligan in it. And that was quite good. I quite enjoyed uh, An Education. Um, but he's, he's adapted another novel this time, um, The Memoirs of the best-selling writer Cheryl Strayed. Um, and it's, it, the film is very closely based on, on her 1,100 mile hike up the Pacific Crest Trail. She goes from California to Oregon, um, in the, I think it's the early to mid 90s. And it's a personal challenge that she set herself, um, when she was about 26 years old. She, she wanted to, uh, move on from her life, so to speak. Um, she she had a failed marriage after she had a load of affairs with just complete strangers. She became addicted to heroin. Um, she got pregnant as well at one point. Well, it's all about her trying to to walk on from from that life, not quit it, not run away, but to try and move to another place in her life. And I think it the film captures what she wanted to do and what she did very well i mean it's a very well directed film very well written um reese witherspoon as i mentioned earlier you know she she is the central character for this film she's for a lot of the film the only person you see on screen um she encounters other people along her her trek along her, her hike but it's all about the journey that she goes on and you really do see um her character cheryl move from uh, you know she goes on this journey from being this sort of lonely and uh, perhaps naive almost and uh, scared you know just a, a scared per- person and she moves on from that to be towards the end of the film someone completely different and it, it it progresses this journey really well and i think that's that's the main plus point for the film um because she she has moved she's not just um gotten further away from from her troubles in a literal geographical sense you know but she's she's also metaphorically gotten further on from them as well so it was quite it was quite nice to see it was a really nice film to watch in the sense of seeing someone grow and change um in a sort of believable and natural way the the problems with the film kind of it feels a bit like nitpicky. I didn't love the film for a start. Just play. I didn't love the film. I thought it was very well made, and I did like lots of it, but it, I didn't love it. And part part of the reason for that, it does get a bit dark at times. Obviously, because you see her like completely in the buff in a crack den and stuff like that, you know, or you see her marriage crumbling away and stuff like that. It's always quite dark to watch anyway. But it it it's odd to say it. It doesn't get that dark. <laughs> it's one of those films you think because she's running away from something so traumatic, as well as you know having her mom, who she dearly loved. You know, her mom was her best friend. Her mom dies as well, and you see all this in flashbacks, and it's all represented through 
what she's actually doing as part of her trek. So when she's, you know, sees a fox and it's someone, something that appears in, new in her life uh, on this trail. It also then it links back to things that happened in these flashback sequences and stuff. But it doesn't really seem that profound. I'm sure it was profound for the real life shell tra- uh, strayed. But in the film, it I don't know, it just felt slightly lightweight. Um, but, you know, it, it, yeah, it's really worth seeing. Um, if it sounds like the kind of film you're not going to be interested in, if you've had enough of sort of Ponzi students on gap years telling you about how they walked from one place to another and nothing really significant comes of that, <laughs> you probably won't like this. However, if you do enjoy seeing characters go on journeys, then you probably will like it. So, yeah, I think it's worth a watch if it sounds like it's going to be your sort of thing. It sounds like uh, what the Martin Sheen one a couple of years ago, The Way. Yeah, I've seen comparisons to that. I've still not seen The Way. Um, but, yeah, is it The Way or The Way Back? I can't remember. The Way, maybe. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, I've seen comparisons to it. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen it to compare it myself. Um, but yeah, probably, yeah. Because, um, like I said, I've seen other people mention them in the same breath, so... <laughs> Possibly. So I can't be far off of my guessing then. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, both me and Andrew have seen um, Into the Woods, which is an adaptation of a Broadway musical uh, starring Meryl, Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, James Corden, Chris Pine, and a whole load of other people as... A fair few fairy tales come together. There's a Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk, and Rapunzel all thrown into the mix together um, to create the story, all in a musical form. Um, Andrew, what do you think of it? Oh, I, I thought it was, it was bad. <laughs> it, it was just... No, it's unfair to say it was bad. It wasn't bad. It was, it was you know, the acting was average, the singing didn't, you know, no one seemed like they wanted to be singing anything they did. It just, it was inoffensive. It was just there. I I wanted to carry on to the end of it. I, I did finish it and I did, you know, I didn't walk out, which I've done on several musicals before. It, the, problem just... with, the problem with it was everybody just seemed to... They didn't seem to like the parts they were playing. No, I, didn't, I wasn't convinced by anybody except maybe uh, M- Emily Blunt mm. and Meryl Streep. Uh, Meryl Streep, I thought, was awesome. Well, I mean, she's had practice playing a witch before, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She has, very much so. Yeah. So, but yeah, political I thought, joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought she was, I thought Meryl Streep was great. I thought Emily Blunt was very, very good. But everybody else just seemed to be... I don't know, a lot of them seem miscast. I, I thought I thought Chris Pine and Billy Magnuson were really good as the princes, it just wasn't enough of them. See I, I thought I thought I thought Chris Pine was kind of channeling both William Shatner and Ron Burgundy and was, <laughs> was and was, and was amazing and, and really should have had more of them in the film. Well for the first ten or so minutes that I was looking at Chris Pine I thought it was James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Honestly, I did. It, it just every time I looked at him, it reminded me of the, the dirty James Vanderbeek from How I Met Your Mother. And I looked and <laughs> go, "Oh, just get off my screen." When I realised it was Chris, when I realised it was Chris Pine, it was even worse because I don't mind Chris Pine. He's all right, and I, I just 
the two, the pair of them, both the princes were just too camp. Well, obviously, it's a, a stage show. They were, you know, they were going to be a bit camp anyway. But that that whole was it agony. I think the song is on the waterfall. Just, yeah. uh, I had to cover my eyes watching it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I found it as as bad as what you did. I thought it was very kind of pantomime. It was just missing a Dame Widow twanky, and it would have been kind of almost full-on panto season on the big screen. But I didn't find it as bad as that. You know, I thought it was it wasn't it wasn't great. It, it wasn't. I didn't think it was terrible. I did, but until a point, I think about two. It started to drag on a bit for a two-hour film. You shouldn't be feeling it's dragging on a bit. But about two-thirds of the way through, the film changes in tone completely. I mean, even though it's quite dark and some of the fairy tales are quite dark, and I think the stage show is, is even darker than the film. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, but it's kind of upbeat and positive throughout until the last third, basically when the, the giant's wife comes down the beanstalk and starts wreaking havoc. Then people start dying, and people start having people start having affairs, and there's people cheating on each other, and villages getting wrecked, and the whole film just changes. And you just think it's like it's kind of like two different films in a way. It does it in a and really so, jarring manner as well, doesn't it? It's just yeah, instantly love, everything goes really black. Yeah, every everyone people die, and it's just miserable and depressing, and and it's just yeah, you just kind of think. Why did they change it kind of like that? Either make the whole film like that, or the whole film like the two thirds, the two, the first two thirds, or else it's just kind of weird. I think. I mean, I, I've never seen the, the stage show, but I think the stage show is supposed to be quite dark, kind of all the, the way through. But the original fairy tales are, are pretty dark as well, yeah. aren't they? And I think this is where it kind of falls over as a film because Disney have made a Disney family film that that's going to turn dark towards the end and it feels like it was supposed to be something else when you get to the end of the film and one thing that didn't get resolved I don't really mind giving a spoiler for this this film because I, I don't think people will mind too much really it's not kind of a big kind of superhero post credit scene spoiler I'm giving here but in this film Rapunzel gets taken off by the witch she is the baker which is played by James Corden sister that he doesn't know about that plot line never gets resolved no he never finds out that Rapunzel who features in the film as like a secondary character is his sister and he knows he's got a long lost sister but he never finds out it's Rapunzel and you just think well you, what, why doesn't that get solved <laughs> why, why are you never talking the witch is there the whole bleeding time <laughs> why are you never you know I just I didn't understand that and, and plot holes like that just irritate me anyway so um, yeah, I wasn't quite sure about that. But, yeah, I, I don't think I kind of found it as bad as what, what you did, Andrew. But it, 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 it I for two thirds of the film, I was getting on with it fine. And then the last third, I just thought, oh, this is gone crap now. Uh, so you had the uh, the little the girl that plays Little Red Riding Hood. I she oh she annoyed me. She, yeah, she annoyed. She just seemed to be she, channeling that girl from Game of Thrones badly. She she annoyed me, but the 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 boy uh, playing Jack, um, who had the beanstalk, I thought he was quite good. He was the same one from from Les Mis, wasn't he? Yeah. So, uh, but I thought he was he was fairly good. Um, James Corden is I uh, hopefully not going to break into Hollywood now because I cannot stand seeing his fat face anywhere else. <laughs> even though in, even though in some things I do think he's quite a good actor. Sort of. 
Gavin Stacey and the wrong man that was on BBC two earlier this year. He he is good. I just he's just everywhere, isn't he? He's just relentless. He's just I, become the host of the Late Late Show, hasn't he? Yeah. So oh he'll. I don't think he'll be in many films, but he'll certainly be like massive in America pretty soon. Yeah. Unless they all hate him. That wasn't a pun, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but him being massive in America. <laughs> James, James, he probably won't be massive in America in, in the grand scheme. <laughs> James Corden, OBE. He is, an, he is, he has an order of the British Empire. Doesn't that just hurt you to say? Hurts me to hear it. It's like England caps under Sven Goran Eriksson, no. isn't it? Everyone, everyone's getting one. It's just meaningless. Yeah. Best player in the world under Roy Hodgson, yeah. Javier Mascarano. It's like that, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, yes. Okay. You go right over uh, my head for that. Soccer. Right. And I know nothing about it. Anyway, on to the, on to the next film. Then that is Foxcatcher starring uh, Steve Carell, Mark Ruffalo and Channing Tatum. Uh, Owen and Andrew have both seen that film. Uh, so what do you think about this one that is uh, highly tipped for Oscar nominations at the very least? Um, uh, yeah, I'll just quickly say because um, Brooks has written a really good review on the website of it. So I'll just sort of jump in before <laughs> before <laughs> unleashing Brooker on everyone. Um <laughs> I I did kind of like it. It was, it, you know, we've mentioned this on sort of all three films now. It was dark. It was darker than I was expecting it to be, uh, in a, although in a slightly different way. But I went into it knowing nothing about anyone involved in it. Um, knew nothing about Dupont. Um, knew nothing about um, Channing Tatum or Mark Ruffalo's brothers who are wrestlers. Um, you know, nothing about any of them, didn't know what happens to them at the end of the film, completely fresh, and in that regard, I jumped at the end, and I don't jump in my cinema seat very often these days, but something happens towards the end of this film, which shocked me, I was shocked, and um, I think that's testament to how well it comes, you know, it comes out of nowhere, I felt, and... uh it was really well done. Very good performances. I kind of flipped between... Uh, I think I said on Twitter I flipped between fondness and loathing of the characters. Because at one point you kind of root for them and then another point you're thinking, oh my God, they're despicable. And then again you're thinking, oh, well, they're not too bad. I kind of want them to do... And then it's like back to, oh my God, he is an asshole. So I kind of kept flipping between the two. But... You knew this story going in already, didn't you? I, I did. It's it's quite a famous story on the other side in the states. You know, a lot of people mm. know it. So, and I kind of I tend to know a lot of the stories like that. So I went in knowing exactly how it was going to end, mm-hmm. but it didn't ruin the film, not at all. I just because I knew what was coming and I saw what was going to happen in in the last act, it didn't ruin anything, and it actually it made it more interesting I think maybe to watch how mm. how DuPont changed across the film and how he because you could see like across the entire second half of the film the dude is just snapping yes <laughs> there's something you know, bubbling away isn't there under there absolutely I mean there's, there's hints early on of, I mean if you know anything about the way films are made there were hints early on that something's going to reoccur yeah there's going to be a reoccurrence of something from early on in the film um, but the way that it was done was what caught me out. I was um, not prepared for it. 
No, so I, I saw it with, with my other half, and she literally shoot wall. Yeah. That happened. I'm like, oh crap! Did you not know that was going to happen? So I <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I and I thought Steve Carell was absolutely brilliant. I I thought because I know Steve Carell from you know The Office and <laughs> and Get Smart. Well, it, has Has Steve Carell, to, to any of your either of your knowledge, played uh, a straight role in a, in before a serious role? Well, he was in The Way Way Back, and he plays an obnoxious stepfather in that and it is fairly straight for him um i've not seen the way way back uh i very much recommend it it's a very good film uh, and, and again he he's very good in it um it is odd seeing him play a straight role considering you know some of his most famous roles are like the office or play brick in anchorman where <laughs> he, you know stuff like that but he i think he's proven he can he can act quite a bit you know. Yes, I mean for me, so he's gone from proper laugh out loud comedy to this the, the role of Dupont in Foxcatcher. It, it was a really jarring shift, but mm. he, he played it so well. But I think the the makeup um, they use helps because you stop seeing him as Steve Carell. That's true. Didn't you think it, the way he was standing there it looked like he was trying to hold the makeup on his face? <laughs> it, it did look a bit awkward. <laughs> It looked like, like like it had a rubber nose on that wasn't quite glued on right, and if he moved wrong, it was going to fall off. Yeah, it looked like it changed size as well between <laughs> scenes. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe the dog got hold of the old one and chewed it up and had to get a different nose in or something, but it did look slightly different sizes. But the same can be said for like uh, for Tatum and, uh, and Mark Ruffalo, because they yeah. both kind of, they beefed up in a different kind of way to play mm-hmm. wrestlers, and Tatum didn't look like Channing Tatum at all. He wasn't the charming, good-looking Channing Tatum who's been in other films, was he? He was proper no. beefcake. And he he played this kind of... I wasn't sure how to take his character. He he looked like he was not all there. Hmm. And I, I know... I don't know... I don't know the guy, but I know the story. I know he's not a dumb guy. I know there's nothing particularly wrong with him. He's You know, he's written a book. He's... You know, he's mm. done wrestling, he's been in the UFC, he's, he's been about a little bit. But he just looked, the character, the way he was playing it was, you know, almost, you know, Rain Man-ish, just waiting for somebody to give him direction. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was quite that bad. I mean, I suppose he's playing a character who's been thrown on his head quite a lot, so there's part of that might have come well, in. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying he was playing Rain Man. I mean, <laughs> he, does, he does look maybe like he's a, maybe a little punch drunk. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he played um, it very well. And again, it's not, I mean, Channing Tatum for me is the Jump Street films and <laughs> Magic Mike and films like that. He's not, I don't see him in serious films and I think he done very well in well, Foxcatcher. Magic, Magic Mike is serious, I think. It's very straight, uh, for want of a better word for Magic Mike. <laughs> Um, <laughs> for, for want of a better word, a bunch of guys talking about a film about male dancers. Yeah, moving themselves up and yeah. with, you know, penis pumps and stuff. Yeah, very straight. Um, I mean, I thought Magic Mike was very funny. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be funny. Maybe no one else <laughs> found it funny. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I like Soderbergh, but I, I did find it quite boring. But the other. I, I'm, I'm not Soderbergh's biggest fan. I went into Magic Mike going, I don't know why I'm watching this. I'm watching it because the wife wants to watch it. Uh, but I found, myself, I found myself really enjoying that. I thought it was really funny. Yes, uh, James made us watch it on one of the early podcasts when it came out, and there was me, Steve, and Jerry all just 
sudden silence when he said that, I think. <laughs> but um, didn't have any interest in seeing it, purely because the, of the way it was advertised, actually. I thought it looked like a... It was advertised as Chippendales the movie, though, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't, really. <laughs> nah. Um which, which I was glad about, because it made it a bit more... Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he's he been good in um, other films, though, I think. I'm trying to think what the other one he did of Soderbergh's was. Um, he was in uh, Haywire. He w- Yes, he was in Haywire, but I was thinking of another one with, uh, that Soderbergh did that came out the other year with uh, Jude Law in it. That was one of my favourite films of that year that I now can't remember the name of. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go. Side effects. Side effects. That was it. Ah, yes, yeah, I've still not seen side effects. Oh, I love. I, I do need to watch it. Yeah, definitely watch that because um, it's very. He doesn't have a major role, but the part he does play, he plays very well. And that so, was one of those roles that people turned around and went, "What? He's not just Duke from GI Joe. I mean, he's <laughs> he's actually quite serious." Okay, fair enough. Well, let's go with it. And then he was good. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, Soderbergh films for me, I flip. One can be really good for me, and the next one can be absolutely awful. But like, I even in the same franchise, if you're talking yeah. about Ocean's Eleven and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. But but it's like when when I saw him in Haywire, it's a bit like the thing we I mentioned earlier with the guys from the raid, and we were talking about with Bruce Lee, the uh, the chick that does that's in Haywire mm. is a professional fighter. So him getting yes. the crap kicked out of him looked realistic, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, okay, for that reason. Yeah. Because <laughs> it looked like he was actually Because I mean, it looked like he was actually getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. But uh no anyway, but back to Foxcatcher I suppose. Back to yeah. Foxcatcher. Um th- I mean the story was good. I liked Mark Ruffalo in it. I thought he was of the three, he seems to be the least talked about, but possibly the best one. I, yeah, I think it's possibly because he's the least He's, he's the smallest transformation to that role, though, isn't he? Because mm. obviously you got Carell to to Dupont, and you got uh, Tatum to his role. Ruffalo's done drama before, yes. You know, and he's done he's done decent drama before, so he is very good. And he, is, I would say, of the three, he's probably the best because of the role he has. But he's, I, I think, he's genuinely talked about less because everybody else is surprised to see Steve Carell do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, Which does Ruffalo a bit of a disservice, I think. Mm, it is a bit of a shame, because um, it seems like he's been overshadowed when really he hasn't. None. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But um story was good as well. I mean, I did find it interesting. I just thought it was told in a very sluggish way. And I know it was on purpose, because sometimes things were slowed down to um, maybe linger on certain things a bit. So once the character said something or you're meant to look a bit into what they're actually doing or interpret what they're thinking as opposed to them just saying it. You know, even just um, DuPont saying good and then not much else happening yeah. gives you a, a you know a moment to take in, well, what does he mean by good? Yeah. What does that infer? Which was quite good. But it seemed to do it quite a lot and I found that a bit annoying. Yeah, it's kind of, it's filmed with like this, I suppose like an air of foreboding and it's just this kind of atmosphere across the entire film. Even when decent stuff is happening, there's, there's an atmosphere mm, mm. between all the characters, you know, that something's bubbling. And it is, there are points where it's too slow. Like you say, there are points where yeah. the, the, the pacing just, it needs to pick up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, personally, I didn't think it, it detracted too much from the film. It, it didn't make me go, oh, this, 
this needs to speed up, you know, and, and no, that's that's carry fair. Out. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, then very good film. I thought. Yeah, um, I thought it was excellent. It was good. I enjoyed it, but I probably won't be watching it again. Is how I imagine it. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I'll bother. It won't go into the collection, I don't think. Mm. When it turns up on TV, if there's nothing else on, I'll watch it. Okay. Uh, quickly, Owen, you have seen Taken 3, starring Liam Neeson. Yeah, Liam Neeson and Forrest Whitaker introduced into the series at this point. Um, oh, oh, good. Yeah, because that's the sign of a film, on the, a film franchise on the up, isn't it? Um... <laughs> Yeah, well, this film takes place entirely in America. So, first of all, the things that people love about Taken, um, by now I say people, I'm excluding Brooker from that because of something he disclosed earlier. When the people who like Taken mention things they like about Taken, one of them is the European uh, flavour that it has, you know, the Luke Besson influence and setting it in um, in France, in Paris. And even Taken 2 was set in Europe. Uh, I think it was in Turkey, if I can remember off the top of my head. But um, this one's entirely, Taken 3 is entirely set in the US. So immediately, it loses something that makes Taken the series that it is, the films that they are. So there's that, that's gone. Um, secondly, the action sequences. I will not see a more poorly directed set of action sequences this year. I'll, I'll put my hands down now, I'll put money on it. There will not be a worse shot action film, and that's including the two or three shitty low-budget Van Damme films that will come out this year that I will inevitably see. I reckon they, even they will be better than, than the action scenes in Taken. You cannot see anything that happens. It's shot in like... um. If I say it uses jump cuts, do you both know what I mean? It uses, yeah, yeah short, yeah. short, short shots, flips to something else, flips to something else, flips to something else. Um, Snatch is a good example of jump cuts when they do the raid on the, uh, the bank. It's quite a popular film. A lot of people have seen Snatch. There's lots of scenes where you see one thing, you're looking at, um, Del Toro's character, switches to another shot, switches to another shot, switches back again. That uses it really well. I think another film that, um, uses it in terms of action sequences, that gets referenced quite a lot, is the Bourne films. The Bourne identity, primarily, um, for kind of inspiring that in a lot of other action films. Um, Pretty much anything Tony Scott done in the last ten years of his life. Yes, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it uses jump cuts. But I'm not kidding you, each shot is on screen for one second, and I was counted, literally... One Mississippi, one Mississippi, one Mississippi. There was one second per shot, and scenes go on for between 30 to 90 seconds of just solid jump cuts. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and it's not like it, it, it does it occasionally, and it's like a little bit of gimmick, you know, like, oh, well, J.J. Abrams has a bit of lens flare. It's sometimes annoying, but mostly you just live with it. Uh, this is solidly on every single action sequence. And it's not that the action sequences are bad. I mean, in some ways, I do feel sorry for the people who are risking their lives for these these things. You know, the stuntmen who are smashing cars into to planes and who, um, you know, leaping out of buildings and stuff like that. 
these people, they're risking their necks <laughs> to make <laughs> these scenes. And the director has just completely fucked them over because you can't see what they're doing. You cannot see it. And it's, it's like watching a psychedelic take on an action film. And that's not a good thing. It is awful. Really hated the way that it's shot. Story itself is quite simple. Um, you know, it's this time, um, some people have set up Liam Neeson's character. They've killed his wife and they've framed him for it. So now Liam Neeson is on the run and he's trying to uncover the people who are behind it. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody gets taken in a literal sense, not like they have in the previous two films. So that it already leaves you something of that in the title. A bit like Prison Break, when they shot a whole season with no people not breaking prison. out of prison. No. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so there's, there's that aspect to it too. But, you know, it, the story's okay. It is what it is. It's just taken. It's what you expect. But it is also a 12A. So, like Taken 2, they've toned down some of the action sequences. But it's not like they've toned down the um, ferocity of them. People are still, like, stabbed to death or shot in the face. Um, the only difference is this time, unlike the first one, no which was an 80, there's no blood, and it cuts away for some of the more gruesome stuff, and then cuts back, and then you can see what's happened. Which is, you know, pointless. It's pointless. What makes that acceptable for um, 12-year-olds and under to see? That if they were shot, actually shot in the face and you saw it, why is that different? I don't, I'll never understand that. Well, it just means they can release a, a DVD of the 18 version, doesn't it? There's that, yeah. I mean, it is commercial. Um, James sort of vetoed anybody reviewing Taken 2 on the podcast. And I'm kind of honouring that. I'm not going to talk about Taken 2 other than to mention that, you know, it is the second one of the three. But he vetoed it primarily because it was... Re- they did the minimum they had to to get a 12A so, or a PG-13, I suppose, so they could release it nationwide in cinemas and more people would have the opportunity to see it. And part of me understand, understands that because Taken was a cult hit. People um, loved it. Um, as I said earlier, a lot of people sort of saw it as this, this cult underground action movie that suddenly shot into a mainstream film. You know, when they made it, I saw Liam Neeson interviewed and he said, well, they kind of just expected it would go straight to DVD and it would make a bit of money. And it was partly because he wanted some experience making action films. And suddenly it's turned into this, you know, multi-million pound franchise. Um, So I can understand the need for them to say, well, we want to release the sequel then. So more people, more of the people who saw it on DVD, some of the, you know, younger people get to, to see it in the cinema but then going for PG-13 is insulting and potentially dangerous you know letting kids that age see it just because there's no blood in it some of the stuff is, is pretty bad torture um, particularly in the second one some of the torture scenes in that weren't much toned down from, from the first film it's just you don't see it and this is this suffers from the same thing. And also then there's the commercial aspect of well we'll release the uncut version on DVD and Blu-ray, which is annoying and also insulting. So yeah, you could um, skip Taken Three to be quite honest. It's not worth going to the cinema to see. Maybe if you like the other two, or you know, 
perhaps not the first one, because I don't think anyone who likes the first one will particularly like the third one. If you didn't mind the second one, it's probably going to be okay. But, yeah, the action sequences really just let it down tremendously. I'm okay. looking it up while you're talking. I can see what, it's the same guy that made Columbiana, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, I'm trying to think of his name there. I saw... Megaton. Uh, Olivia Megaton. Megaton, yeah, that's his real name either. He, Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, I, I did read an interview with him. He, he was interviewed for this. And he said, well, I don't really like action films. He said, I like Kubrick and stop I like Tarkovsky. And I, yeah, stop making them then, you fucking idiot. So he said, I don't, I don't really like action films. But I made a film where somebody said, you know, that, uh, uh, the action scenes that I shot were quite good. And then I got a call from the best one who wanted me to make a take and sequel. I was like, no, why, why me? And then it was alright. And I was just thought, well, fuck could you do? Get off, get out of this franchise and let someone competent take over. Just stop because you're ruining a film that I, I could potentially have enjoyed. Funny that, because he bollocked up Transporter as well by making Transporter 3, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did, because Transporter's another Luke Besson film, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, just, he needs to stop. <laughs> just, no, because he cannot shoot an action film to save his life. No, he needs a decent second unit guy, doesn't he? Yes, or someone who's in the editing process to go, yeah. uh, that's not going to work. Yeah, someone just to hit him every time he comes up with a stupid idea. Yeah. Or a new cut. I can only assume he's purposefully sabotaging the film so he doesn't get asked to make any more. I don't That's know, man. I any, anyone that changes their name from Fontana to Megaton, they're, <laughs> they're, they're a douchebag already. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's all for our, our new release. Just quickly before we go, some recommendations for you to watch uh, in the next week or so. Saturday morning, or it's, well, it's half past 12 on Saturday, uh, half, just gone midnight, so really it's Friday night. Channel 4 are showing Borat's Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. I haven't seen it for a while, but it's bloody funny <laughs> and well worth watching. Yeah. Uh, Owen? Um, well, I, again, it's one of those things, I don't think people, um, heard me review it last week because they probably switched off, um, the podcast. But I did review a film called I'm Alright Jack, which is from, um, 1959, stars Peter Sellers, Terry Thomas, um, loads and loads of famous, uh, actors from, from the era. The film's been digitally restored and, um, it gets released on the 19th of January. So I don't think I'm going to get a chance to, to mention it again before we record. So, yeah, 19th of January on DVD and Blu-ray. I'm all right, Jack. Very funny, very satirical um, 50s comedy about unions and um, the the paymasters. Okay, and Andrew? Uh, yeah, you're, you're either going to love me or hate me for this recommendation. On Thursday night, on IT, uh, 10 past 5 on ITV4, Crank is on. <laughs> and I haven't seen it for ages. And when I discovered it was on, I've set my recorder. I haven't seen it for a long time. It's such a stupid film. It's so much fun to watch. Yeah, no, no Crank is a movie, isn't it? It really is. It's just, no one is supposed to like that film, but everybody does. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing. And 
I've been waiting for a long time for it to come out on Blu-ray so I can whack it into my collection. <laughs> but while I'm waiting, yeah, the TV version will do. It's on late enough to not be cut. Yeah, that's the other thing. Because it needs to be if it's crank. You can't cut it. That's cut the point, it, you, lose all the, you lose all the fun of it, don't you? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so that's all for this week's podcast. Then. So thanks to everyone who has contributed and thanks to everyone who's listened. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast and Jay's returning. Uh, so if you want to miss one, that's probably the best <laughs> one to skip. Um, but yes, again, thank you all for listening and we'll be back around the same time next week. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.